Well, we are in the the letter of James. We want to turn to James chapter 5 today. And we're reading about those who wander. James finishes with one final exhortation. If anyone among you wanders from the truth, he says. Some of you will know the name Adoniram Judson, or Adoniram Judson. Uh, He was the first foreign missionary from, uh, the, from the, the United States, from the, the American colonies. And he went out to uh, sort of southern Asia, Burma at that time, India and Burma, to share the gospel. But his life was not always a, a model of perfect faithfulness. His story is very interesting. He grew up in a Christian home and uh, in, when he went off to college, went off to Brown University, a uh, famous school that had Christian roots. But at university, he was introduced to a whole new series of philosophies and beliefs that were sort of sweeping the country at, in, in that day. We call them deism, uh, and that would be this sort of set of beliefs that there is a God, but he's maybe not just the God of Jesus, the God that, that Jesus Christ revealed. And so while Jesus may be a revealer of God, there are many paths to God. And Judson was a bright young man. He was the valedictorian of his uh, class. And he absorbed many of these beliefs as he was uh, going through school, both with friends and at some points in the classroom. And by the time he was done with school, uh, he was not a Christian. He had no sense that Jesus was the Son of God, the only path back to God, and as he's, as he's wrestling with what his life should look like as soon as he gets out of school, uh, he sort of goes on the road. He wanted to be an entertainer. Uh, he wanted to go to New York City and join the theater. Um, who doesn't when they get out of college? Uh, but on his path, he, he, was, he was troubled. He had lost in giving up his trust in Jesus as the one Son of God, he had lost a sense of peace. And it was really brought home to him at one, at, at, in one kind of uh, a seemingly arbitrary moment. He was, he was on his way, uh, kind of on making, making his way to, to try and make this new life for himself. And he stopped by his uncle's house. His uncle was a pastor. And his uncle was out. Somebody was filling the pulpit that day for, for him. A young man, uh, not somebody who Adoniram Judson had ever met before, and uh, he he intended to go on, but it was late, so he decided, well, I'll just spend the night here. And he began chatting with this young man, and they actually stayed up for hours that night. And Judson said, I was struck by his piety and also the warmth and genuineness of his faith. It's one of those moments that turned him around and that really unsettled him. He was intelligent. Judson, that is, was intelligent. But he lacked peace. He lacked assurance and any foundation for the things that he believed. And he realized in his conversations with this young man that what he was lacking ultimately was the the assurance of, of God's promises for him. And he began this path back, kind of questioning all the things that he had learned and beginning to undo some of those things. And it was in that, that little conversation that Judson was brought back uh, through the persuasiveness, not, not just of that young man's 
rhetoric, the things that he said, but also the, the devotion with which he said them, a pure love for Christ, a true piety that set him apart from many of the other kind of cultured teachers whom Judson had met before. And he then, uh, he, he turns back eventually. Uh, you'll have to read the, read the book, To the Golden Shores, a great biography of Judson. And he, he did, in fact, uh, commit his life to Christ again. He, he returned from his wanderings, turned back. And let me read this passage for you in James, because many of these themes jump out at us as we think about that. Just the last two verses in James chapter 5. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures with you, it'll be up here on the screen as well. My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. There are many prodigals uh, represented in a gathering like ours. Many of us have friends, perhaps children, who have wandered from the truth. And in this passage, James is thinking about such people, not just children who have left the faith, but indeed he says, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, this is a phrase that he's used previously, if anyone among you, uh, he says is, uh, is uh, in verse uh, 13, is anyone among you suffering? Verse 14, is anyone among you sick? He's speaking to the church, and he says, church, not everyone's faith will be as strong today as it was yesterday. There will be times when, as you look at your brothers and sisters, you realize you see some who are wandering. And he gives instructions then. How do we respond to that? We'll look at these instructions under three headings today. First, he talks about wandering from the truth. And we'll ask, what does it mean to wander from the truth? Second, he talks about bringing back the one who has wandered. And so we'll consider, how do we bring someone back? And what is it that brings them back? And then finally, we'll talk about rejoicing in the truth. And if you're you're looking at this passage, it's pretty brief. The word rejoicing is not in here. But no doubt, that's what James wants us to do. He wants our joy to be in the pursuit of those who have wandered, that they might be brought back to Christ. So let's begin with that first point then, wandering from the truth. Wandering from the truth. This is James's phrase here. And let me just begin with a set of, seri- uh, of simple questions. Uh, what is the truth? What is the truth that James has in mind here? Uh, there are many true things, all sorts of uh, true facts that we could affirm. But that's uh, not everything that's true is what James is thinking of here. Uh, he does not have in view scientific facts, mathematical precision regarding pi, decisions regarding taste in music, certain accepted facts regarding the use of plaid and stripes in the same outfit. These things may be true, but they're not what James has in mind. What he is thinking of here is, uh, is also important to point out and to, to distinguish here seriously. Uh, there are times where brothers and sisters in Christ disagree about certain secondary issues. Many of you will have grown up in churches where uh, the children of believers are baptized. We don't practice that here because we don't think that that's what Scripture teaches. 
But nonetheless, those who teach this have not departed from the truth. They've not wandered from the truth. This would be an example of a secondary issue, one where we can say we have disagreements with fellow believers, but this is not wandering from the truth. There are often secondary issues that we elevate into that primary place, and some of us feel very strongly, for instance, about our political decisions. We're entering into a season where this is more and more put in our faces by the media around us. If your brother or sister decides to vote for a candidate different than you do, they are not wandering from the truth. And it's important that we just say that out loud. We affirm that together. There's a multiplicity of options out there. Jesus, Jesus is the one true leader whom we must all affirm and whom our allegiance must be to ultimately. Everyone is making decisions as they best see fit when they vote in these elections, but there are no second options when it comes to the path to God. God entrusts his purposes on earth, not to political parties or to governments, but to us, the church, the lowly, those who, as Paul said, are not particularly wise. We're not particularly set apart from the world around us by our intelligence or capabilities or influence. God has entrusted to us the truth about Jesus, and it's Jesus whom James has in mind here. When he says, if any of you wanders from the truth, he means if anyone rejects or denies Jesus or or turns away from him. Jesus himself is the truth. That's how he describes himself. If you've never read through the Gospel of John and just watched for that word truth, it's a major theme in the Gospel of John. John seems to highlight a number of sayings that Jesus had uh, as he was teaching both his disciples and in public. And famously, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. John chapter 14. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus alone is the path to God. Uh, There's an interesting interaction at the end of the book of John. As Jesus is on trial before Pilate, uh, Pilate asks him, are you a king? (laughs) Because he's being accused of claiming kingship. And Pilate tries to sort of, he tries to corner Jesus. He says, so are you a king? Jesus answered him, John chapter 18, you say that I'm a king. It is a strikingly ambiguous thing that Jesus says there. (laughs) He sort of wriggles out. I won't deny that I'm a king, and I won't affirm it. You say that I'm a king, but this is what Jesus says about himself. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Jesus sums up his whole earthly work in a single sentence, to bear witness to the truth. And no doubt, that's what James has in mind here when he says, brothers and sisters in the church, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, if anyone among you begins to turn away from Jesus, either in belief or in behavior, I want you to go after them. So wandering from the truth is a rejection of Jesus in word, thought, or action. 
word, thought, or action. Now, we have examples of this in Scripture. Again, Jesus said, I, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He was intentionally putting up guardrails, if you will, to kind of close off other options. If you think that Jesus plus anything else will lead you to God, Jesus is saying explicitly in his own words, you've missed the point. You've missed the point. He alone is the path to God. And we can call this uh, the importance of belief, sound doctrine. So orthodox belief, as we often use that phrase, describes just this, who Jesus is and what he did. The New Testament describes him as the Son of God. He was before all time, and he alone, Father, Son, and Spirit, dwelt in perfect unity. So John affirms in John chapter 1 that in the beginning was the Word, meaning Jesus, and he was with God, and he was God. Any denial of Jesus as the true God from all eternity would be this sort of failure to believe what's true about him, orthodox belief. But you know, there is a way to be orthodox in your beliefs and totally spiritually dead. Orthodox in belief and totally spiritually dead. And that's really who Jesus is confronting throughout so much of his earthly ministry. He has these kind of vicious at times disputes. I say vicious because they often lead to threatened violence several times. Jesus was right on the brink of being murdered for claiming that he was God. But the people that he was arguing with were essentially, in many ways, orthodox. They had the Old Testament scriptures. They wanted to obey them, they thought. They claimed Moses as their teacher. They believed that because of their descendants, that is, uh, their, their uh, coming from Abraham, being children of Israel, that they had a, a right to access God. They were, in many ways, orthodox in their beliefs, but totally, totally misled. And it's important for us, as we ponder these things, to beware of that, a, a dead orthodoxy. And I think that's what James is warning about here as well. If you remember anything that we've read in the book of James, you'll know he is, as are all the, the, the teachings in the New Testament, all the letters in the New Testament, he's focused not merely on belief, but also on practice, behavior, the things that we do. So he can say in chapter 3, verse 13, James 3, 13, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have better, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. James is picking up the importance of behavior to our Christian profession. And this is important for us to, to note because there are times where we feel tempted to say, yeah, sure, I, I'm kind of overlooking these things in my life that I do, but I mean, I'm, I'm baptized. <laughs> I believe in Jesus. 
Uh, and James's, James's warning, and the whole letter here, is really intended to remind us our behavior does matter. It's not, it's not what saves us, but your behavior is a necessary part. It's, an, it's, it's a necessary part of your profession of Christ. Let me put it this simply. Jesus said the defining ingredient in a Christian's life is belief in him, repentance from sin, and love for others. He said, people will know you by your love. They'll know that you're my disciples. That will be the mark that sets you apart from the world when you love each other. And Jesus called for repentance from sin, belief in him, and love for others. So it's important that we, that we, that we take note of these things. What is it to wander from the truth? Any rejection of Jesus in word, deed, or action. Jesus claimed to be the only one who brings us to God, and he does cover sins. He does cover sins, but he also tells us that we can't just go on in sin. Unrepentant sin is a problem. Wandering from the path here, which is the phrase that he uses, if you skip down just a little bit to to verse 20 there, he says, if anyone brings back a sinner, sinner from his wandering or from the error of his ways, that idea of path or ways, Uh, is the biblical image, the biblical metaphor for all of our lives. Our behavior matters here as well. Let me give you just an example. One one last example, and then we'll move on from this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul gives a, a specific list of actions that he says are off limits for Christians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 9. Paul says, Do not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But he gives this promise right after. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So at the same time that he identifies these sins that must be turned away from, he also recognizes that these Christians have, many of them come out of lifestyles that reflect these very things. The love of God through the death of Jesus covers those sins for those who repent of them and turn to Christ. And therefore, we can no longer continue in them. So when we ask this question, what does it mean to wander from the truth? It's any rejection of Jesus in word, deed, or, or thought. So, wandering from the truth. And secondly, after identifying what this is, then James, back in James chapter 5, encourages uh, these brothers and sisters to seek after those who wander from the truth. He wants them to bring them back. Uh, So what does it mean to turn someone back here? That's the exact phrase here. It's interesting because this word to turn back is often a word that's used basically like repentance. Uh, So every one of us who are Christians have turned back away from sin and towards Jesus. 
But note this in this passage. He doesn't say when that person who wanders turns back. He says if one of you turns them back. So the person doing the action here is the person who's pursuing, the person who's seeking after the one who's wandered. He's not talking about the wanderer turning themselves back to Jesus. He's talking about fellow church members seeking after them. And it's really important that he's not, notice this, he's not talking just about, say, the elders. You know, if anybody among you wanders and the elders seek after him and turn him back. That's not what he says at all. In fact, the, the word that he uses, in my translation, it says, if anyone among you wanders, that word anyone, it, it just means exactly what it says, any, any person. And then it says, and someone brings him back. That's the exact same word, if anyone brings him back. This is an encouragement to all of us as church members. The responsibility is on each of us. This is not, this is not some calling merely for those who are in, say, uh, professional ministry, whether an elder or, or those who have a specific role or title in the church, a deacon or a small group leader. Every one of us is called to seek after those who wander, to have an eye, a concern for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And if they're wandering from the truth, to seek after them and to seek to turn them back. If you've been in a situation like this, you have a friend or a child who wanders from the truth, you know, seeking to turn them back is not the only possible response. There are a lot of possible responses. Some of the more common ones, rejecting that person. You've seen this sometimes, no doubt, in the lives of fellow believers around you. No doubt, well-meaning Christians sometimes miss the mark entirely. They refuse to be involved with someone because of their sin, generally under this sense that if I continue to accept this person, I would inherently be approving of their sin. And that, that, fails, that fails the test of this passage, and it also fails the test of Jesus' example for us. Jesus was well-known, notorious, <laughs> for dining with tax collectors and prostitutes. That was his enemy's chief uh, objection to him. This man drinks with those who get drunk. He parties with prostitutes. Jesus accepted these people without approving of their sins, so it's not necessary for us, brothers and sisters, to reject those who wander from the truth. In fact, that's, according to this passage, not what our initial response should be. Other possible responses, rejecting the person, ignoring the problem, pretending like they're not really wandering. You know, it's okay for them to begin to accept other alternatives to Jesus as true representations of God. And this is, this is obviously much more comfortable. It means that you don't have to upset the relationship or upset your friend at all by simply kind of overlooking it. But remember this, we cannot be more compassionate than God. We cannot be more compassionate than God. If God has told us in his word that something is sin, it's a rejection of him, then to act like it's not sin is in fact rejecting God. It's no compassion towards that person. And as we'll see in this passage, the path to sin, this is true for all of us. If we wander off into sin, the path 
back to sin, into unrepentance, is a path to death, spiritual death and ultimately eternal death. Other possible responses, reject the person, ignore the problem, or redefine the sin. There's sort of this middle way, and it's very tempting. My friend now believes that this action is not sin. Scripture speaks very clearly about it. But you know, Scripture is dated. (laughs) Scripture doesn't really speak to our modern moment. It was written thousands of years ago by people who didn't know what we were going through. And if you walk down this path, you can see how easy it is to redefine other people's actions as not really being sin. These are some of the possible responses that we are each tempted to, at least, when we see someone wandering from the truth, rejecting the person, ignoring the problem, or redefining the sin. But it's important that we note none of these fit the paradigm that's set out for us in this passage, and none of them fit the life and example of Jesus. I love what uh, Rosaria Butterfield said about Jesus. This is such a helpful summary. Jesus dined with sinners, but he didn't sin with sinners. Jesus lived in the world, but he didn't live like the world. She says this is the Jesus paradox. So true. Let me say that again. Jesus dined with sinners, but he didn't sin with sinners. Jesus lived in the world, but he didn't live like the world. This is the Jesus paradox. And it's important for us to to recognize this. Our love for those who wander means that we do, in fact, accept them. We seek after them without approving of their sin. We have to be able to walk that fine line That's what it means both to love God and to love our brothers and sisters who are wandering in those moments. You accept them without approving of their sin. So how do we then turn someone back? When he says, if anyone wanders and someone turns him back, he's putting the onus on us, brothers and sisters, to watch for those who are wandering. How do we turn them back? Well, we pursue them gently but consistently with the promises of God especially the good news about Jesus. Pursue them gently and consistently with the promises of God, especially the truth about Jesus. So again, think, think what's off the table here. We're not browbeating. We're not, uh, we're, we're not beginning just with threats of destruction. No doubt that's true. But the promise of Jesus is whoever repents and turns to him in faith will be saved. They'll be forgiven of those sins no matter what they've done. Turning someone back is it's also not a matter of overwhelming them with logic. You know, being like particularly persuasive in our words, trying to bend their will to accept the truth. The call for us is actually, in many ways, relatively simple. Paul sums it up in Ephesians 4 by saying that we ought to speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. If we redefine their action as not sin. We're not speaking the truth. And if we speak in a way that's insulting or threatening, where we begin with the hellfire and brimstone, that's true, that's true, but our main message is Christ saves to the uttermost, so return to him. We ought to be speaking the truth in love. It looks different in each 
circumstance, but the essential ingredients are the truth about Jesus, his mercy, his gentleness, his patience toward those who wander, and a call to return. That all those who walk by faith in Christ are received by God. They are part of his family. So a couple of other things that this puts off the table. We don't respond with disgust, for instance. We don't respond with that sort of repulsion at what others have done, that they're wandering, but rather a holy fear for them. Their lives are in danger. Their eternal well-being is in danger. We shouldn't be surprised either. We shouldn't be surprised when others wander because we ourselves are so tempted frequently by these same things. So when we seek to turn someone back, we are, we're not surprised, we're not disgusted, but we have genuine sympathy knowing our own frailties and failures. I love, uh, I love Proverbs 25.15. Proverbs 25.15 says, With patience a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone. With patience... A ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone. I think that is the calling of speaking the truth in love. We recognize that it's not our overwhelming logic that sort of forces people back into the truth. It's the gospel. It's the same thing that brings us in initially that would bring back someone who's wandering There are not two doors to acceptance with God. There's only the one door, Jesus Christ. There's one path to restoration, and it's the same path that we must all walk. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation. And this should be where our hope lies, not in our own persuasiveness, not in our ability to to, uh, force others into coming back, but as we simply hold out the gospel promises, brother, sister, you're wandering from the truth, but know this, Jesus will take you back in a heartbeat. He will take you back in a heartbeat. When James speaks of us bringing back one who wanders, he is encouraging us to pursue. He's encouraging us to feel a sense of responsibility and to initiate hard conversations. Feel a sense of perspective of responsibility and to initiate hard conversations. He's not laying on you the burden of having the perfect argument. He is laying on you a love for your brother or sister that would say, I'm concerned for you. I think you're headed in the wrong direction. And uh, if you see in the previous section, if you remember where we were before, that whole passage, chapter 513 and following, is all about Prayer. It's all about prayer. No doubt, when we say, well, how do we bring someone back through the gentleness of gospel promises, through pursuing them, initiating these hard conversations, and through prayer? Uh, I'm sure that's what's in James's mind here. He wants us to remember the power of salvation is in the gospel, <laughs> and God is the one who is powerfully working through the gospel. So when we seek our brothers and sisters as they wander, we ought to pray for them as well, knowing that God uses even us oftentimes to accomplish his means. Our pursuit of wandering brothers and sisters 
is at times the instrument that God uses to bring them back from wandering. And finally, rejoicing in the truth. So we see what it means to wander, what it means to bring someone back. And then let me just read that final verse again. Verse 20, he says, Let that person know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Save that person from death and cover a multitude of sins. Just imagine the magnitude of that promise. You know, many people reject the teaching about hell because it's hard to hear, frankly. Uh, But the figure in Scripture who speaks more about hell than anyone else is Jesus. Jesus himself is the one who founded and, and grounded our teaching about eternal punishment. He's the one who very clearly taught that to his disciples and who set the church on this path of saying, it's not okay to just wander away. There is no second option. It's either trusting in Jesus or the promise of eternal, eternal fire and eternal punishment away from the presence of God. So when we read things like this, whoever brings back a sinner saves his soul from death. Those sort of threats should ring in our ears and should encourage us to seek after our brothers and sisters. And indeed, we cover a multitude of sins, he says. Isn't that amazing? You, brother or sister, as you seek a fellow Christian who's wandering, can help cover a multitude of sins as you restore them to gospel trust. This passage, though, uh, I, like I said a moment ago, uh, I'm titling this section Rejoicing in the Truth. Yeah, that's not really, uh, it's that, that word rejoicing is absent here, or, excuse me, rejoicing together, but I think that's the idea, rejoicing together. The, actual, the only command in this passage right here is right at the beginning of verse 20, he says, know this, or let him know, my translation has. He doesn't say, go bring him back. He says, if you do this, this would be the result. But he says, know this. It's like he's holding out for us this truth as a motivation for us. So as much as this book is very focused on not merely being a hearer of the word, but also a doer, it begins with hearing. (laughs) In order to be a doer, you have to know the truth And James says, I want you to begin by knowing this truth. Anybody who wanders is is on a path to destruction. And anyone who turns them back, you are doing for them something of such great value that nothing in this life compares with it. Jesus said, what does it profit a person to gain the whole world if they lose their soul? And we may be the instrument of God to help turn others back, to help save their souls as we seek those who have wandered from the truth. And I think that's his purpose here. He wants us to know this so that we may rejoice together with those who have wandered and been brought back by our own gentle speaking of the gospel to those who are in need. Well, let me pray for us as we close here. Father, we uh, do, many of us, have friends 
who have wandered from the truth, beloved ones, uh, family members. I pray, oh Lord, give us wisdom as we uh, seek those who have wandered. May we not reject them nor redefine the issue, but may we be steadfast in our commitment to Christ. I pray, Lord, give us that hope of rejoicing together with those who are brought back. And we ask, Lord, for the prodigals that you would please grant restoration. Father, for those who are represented in this room who have a loved one who's wandered, I pray, hear our prayers now on their behalf. Make us faithful in initiating those hard conversations. Help us to have an attitude of love and concern that would so permeate what we have to say that there would be no denying of our love for them and of your love, Father, through Jesus. Help us, we pray, Lord. Bring back those who are wandering. May we be faithful to do this on your behalf, to speak the truth in love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.